Welcome to the Freedom City Church podcast, a podcast designed to help your faith thrive. We hope you enjoy today's message. So, I am coming to come around and I'm going to give you, Thank you. a piece of paper and So, I'd like you to start off and imagine you were able to build your dream house. Okay, and what five things would you put in your dream house? Okay, list five things. Write and put it right down. You can draw your dream house. Okay, so who wants to share? What, what are the five things? Uh, all five. A massive ensuite with a bath. Uh, <laughs> so ensuite is tiny. All of them? Yeah, go on. Okay, a big backyard with trees, a oh. veggie garden, a fireplace, and a large open plant kitchen. Anybody else? I've only got three. Go on, go on, give me three. Fireplace, garden, big windows. Oh, big windows. Oh, Jeanette. Uh, I've got an amazing garden. An outdoor uh, or pool with a view, mm-hmm. um, an outdoor kitchen with a pizza oven, mm-hmm. polished concrete floors, which I know you guys have got, <laughs> <laughs> and light and space. Oh, good. Right, the reason I give you that is I want you to think about uh, a hierarchy of values. Mm-hmm. So uh, me and Andy talked about this on uh, Monday, and so there's a there's a philosopher called Max Sheila, who in fact, I think he died in 1928. So he, he came up with this hierarchy of values. And so we go from low to high, we go from, uh, from, I've got down 
Yeah. Flourishing. To barren. To life. And death. There's a kind of fulfillment. You say fulfillment. Uh, purposefulness, emptiness. So the bottom value he talks about, the bottom value is what they call the utility value. What does that what does that mean? That is things that are rated functional and not functional. Sorry if you can't understand my writing. Uh, but that kind of idea something is functional or not functional. So we make decisions according to its function. Okay? The second value is the sensual value. Essential value. So you could you could bring that down to pleasure or pain. So making decisions, making value judgments on what is uh, gives you pleasure and what gives you pain. Okay, make decisions and values. What you value is those two principles. The next one he would said is the virtue value. Value, and he, he talks about things like the noble or the base, which you would say, okay, uh, type of values that valor, brave, braveness, mm-hmm. kind of like virtues in decide in types of characteristics of what we like people to to have, and so we make decisions along those kind of things. The next value is the wisdom value which you could put in there beauty truth so we would go to things that are beautiful and not beautiful aesthetic values truth values these are not you know these are sometimes right and wrong but they're a bit deeper than just facts so we're not talking about facts here we're talking about things that are truthful, you know, the whole truth, deep truth. And the top value is a holiness value. Or transcendent. And I'm going to pause for that. Transcendent. Transcendent values. So holiness of things that are holy and things that are not holy. Very kind of difficult thing to understand, holy and not holy. Those hierarchy of values kind of started to speak to me in terms of thinking about the culture we live in, how I live my life, how I think about things. And it really speaks to work a lot. Because work, my experience of work, and I think is that basically it's at that level. Really, it's a lot of decisions made made about my work, what I do um, as a teacher is really functional and and often pleasure or pain kind of ideas that are really, and I think that's kind of common to our culture, is that our culture operates on those two values. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it goes to the virtue value, but that's getting bigger. Very rarely do we go anywhere near truth and holiness is something that's just not even considered. Mm -hmm. 
So, I want you to think, go back to thinking about the, your house that you built, and would you change any of your values in your house? So on those kind of ideas, look in your house, and if this is going to give you flourishing, and bring you life, uh, you're going to flourish in the house that you live in, would you change any of the values that you decided in initially? Can we have some more examples of the utility function where you said low, barren, depth, emptiness? What, how does that relate to what kind of... Well, uh, so function, things, things that are, are purely, f basing everything on purely functional determination. So, for example, um, I'll give, it's not about home, but I'll give you uh, some teaching. In, in terms of teaching, we will boil everything down to an assessment. That assessment is reduced to an A, B, or C. It is purely functional. It tells you nothing about the, the really, very little about learning or how someone has grown. That's just a number. So in terms of functionality, reducing things down to its pure function is, uh, is something that uh, uh, people will make a lot of decisions about and you don't build. So for example, are you building your house around the values of beauty? So some of, some of the things you talked about, light, having light in your house is something really important, is that you go into houses, and when we, when we went to houses, we visited thousands of houses every year, and you knew intuitively which one you really liked and which one you didn't. And so those come to, down to those kind of values. So I, what I was going to talk about next is two examples of house building is that in the 1960s in Australia, 1950s, 60s, uh, the government, in, in, a, in an arrangement with uh, some architects, designed a whole lot of houses. Ninety of those 1960s houses, okay, what were they like? So we lived in one, big, big windows, light would come streaming in, okay, uh, you would have a long driveway that didn't have a garage often and you would drive in and everybody in your road, you'd see them driving in and you'd have big gardens and so you would be able to talk to your neighbours. There was light, they were designed purposely for light and nature to come into these houses. I mean, they were functional, they're not ideal, but they were built with a certain set of ideals yeah. around the family. You look at houses that are built in the late 90s and 2000s, what are they like now? You have an indoor garage that you drive into. You, the centre of the house used to be, probably not anymore because it's redundant, you'd have a, a theatre room, mm -hmm. no lights. So you are now internally looking in and you're being entertained under pleasure. Okay, You don't see your neighbours anymore. There are no gardens anymore. It is all block. You know, the blocks have been reduced for the function of money. Okay, So that's what I mean about that idea of functionality. So if you think at that level, and things that you build and create a functionality and pleasure and pain, what do you actually what actually happens? What happens to society when that actually when those things are the prominent values? And so, you know, that's something to think about in terms of building house. And this is going somewhere. So uh, so really these two kind of ideas, those two types of homes are a cultural result of a way of thinking. They are, and so uh, 
this is, and we're going to talk about a thing called the split brain. I've mentioned this before, of the, the right and left brain. Okay. Now this is this is by a uh, uh, a guy called Ender Gilchrist, and as you can look at his book on TED, it's an amazing TED talk. He talks about the split brain. And what he's basically saying is culture and ourselves. We basically have two people living inside of us. Okay, those two people. Okay, you can find that idea right through uh, culture, history. There's often talks about two people. So even in the Bible, uh, Cain and Abel, two brothers. Okay, this idea is kind of runs deeply in ancient culture about two people or two brothers. It's deep in it. And I'm not saying it's about the left and right brain, but there's this idea of two two brothers warning against each other. And so his theory is that actually that is our brain. Okay, and our brain results in, results around that. So if we look at the right and left brain, the, the right brain is about, I'm going to use this word presentation. The world is presented directly to us. So you're experiencing it right now, and I'm being presented to you, and you're either being bored or you're interested, you don't know, something's going on in your body, and it's a presentation. That is the right brain. The left brain is about representation. So that you are going to flow into that and you are going to categorize this into a whole lot of categories. You're going to pull apart what I'm saying. You're going to think about it. You're going to say, oh, this is rubbish. You're going to say, no, this is speaking to me. You're going to break this down to see if it makes sense. So the left brain is, is the characteristics. It's verbal. It deals mainly with language. It's explicit. Deals with parts. It is overconfident. It is mechanical. It's abstract. It can be paranoid. And it's technocratic. The right brain. It's mainly non-verbal, so it's just silent rubber. It is implicit. It deals with the whole. It is intuitive. It deals with metaphor. It deals with the living or organic. It is relational, relational. See, so to think of the connection between things and it's connected. So those are the two worlds that that we kind of in in us all the time, and they produce a culture in us. It produces a culture in our world. It produces a culture in our thinking. Which one we pay attention to? So. In fact, attention, how we attend to the world, is actually a moral act. So we are tending and how we think about things and how we, what we pay attention to actually is a moral act. Every time we do something, it's, we're saying something the way we think about our values. Okay? So, an example of this uh, presentation and representation is, and we talked about this on Monday, is money. Money 
is a representation. It's, when it was invented, it's not a real thing. It's a piece of paper, okay? And so it becomes, it's a representation. So instead of me giving you something valuable for your, what you do for me, so I give you food or I give you, I don't know, a house or whatever, I give you a piece of paper that has a value on it. That value goes up and down. So it is a representation. It's not real. Money is not real. It's completely abstract. Yet, in our world, that is a thing of the highest value. We will spend all our time working and striving. Every part of our motivation comes from this idea of money. But it is a representation. It's not alive. It's dead. It's abstract. It doesn't exist. I see this in teaching. The same way I talk about marks and grades. Students will work over and over, spend so much time to get a percentage or a grade, and they'll feel self-worth if they get an A, but they don't look at what actually they've learnt, what are the values that they've learned, what have they done, what have they produced. The things that they've actually achieved are not being valued. It is the representation. We can see this all the time. We live in a world of representation and not in the direct world. And it's quite interesting now, and I don't make the connection, but right now the census in Australia has shown that uh, Christianity is falling down. And maybe where I'm going to take this, maybe this is some of the reasons of where our values are and how we experience the spiritual, whether we're doing a representation or whether we're doing a direct, people experiencing something spiritual. Because I bet if the, the uh, census asked if people had a spiritual sense, that would have been really high. But because we'd say, are you Christian? It's, it's abandoned. So there's a real thing for us to think about is in terms of the house that we're building, what is that house? And so um, I'm now going to come to... Uh, uh, any, anyone got any thoughts about that? Does that make sense? Make sense? Really? Okay. Really? So I want to think about someone with their Bible open, open. Can someone look up Exodus 35, 30 to 35? Exodus 35, 30 to 35. Can you read it? Yeah, please read it. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroider in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twi twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Beautiful. So, this is actually the second house that God built. What's the first house? Garden of Eden. Pardon? Sorry? Garden of Eden. Excellent. Garden of Eden. Here's the first house, the first dwelling place that God builds for man and his presence is a garden. Mm. Right? It's organic. It's alive. It's fully alive. Like it's growing, it's just, 
You know, it's generous. It's blooming. It's like it's everything you need is there. There's not a straight line in sight. Mm. There's no. It's just a beautiful place to be. And so that is the intention of God's first house. But the thing that separates, causes man to leave, is death. And so we are forced out of that place. And so what the next house, we build a house. So that house is the second house. So it's the temple. So this is just like a basic idea here. You've got different, you've got the Holy of Holies and this here. And what is interesting in that is that this whole temple, who does God choose to make, to build it? He chooses honest. It's not an accountant that goes, oh, you've got a budget of such and such, you can do this and do that, and these are the deadlines. They choose artists who are skilled with wisdom first, understanding, knowledge, and skills. That kind of is a hierarchy of values that choosing artists, that is a completely different way of doing it. So when you are walking in to this, it is surrounded by the most precious objects, and they, they represent... Garden of Eden. So there's there's, there's a, the most expensive dyes. There's gold. All the visual symbols that God is using, He's using to represent visual language, not written language. Visual language to represent this purposeful presenting to beauty, to eventually holiness. And so, as you go along, this is the Holy of Holies here, and there's where you sacrifice. And so the purpose of the sacrifice was not to morally purify, but to purify things from death. So anything that represented death had to be purified so that the priest could enter the Holy of Holies. So if you had contact with anyone that's dead, if you had issues of blood, if you had semen or kind of sexual contact, everything that was seep seeping life out of you represented death and had to be purified so that you could partake in this temple. So that, 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 that at the Holy of Holies is life at its fullest, okay? And so and that is that, that idea of, of what is our hierarchy of values in terms of what we think about where we're heading is, it's really, and there's, and what's interesting is strictly is there's, the closer you get here, the less language that's used in this here. Okay, and so how much of our life is spent with language? Even now, I'm, I'm using language to talk about this, which is crazy, that the best way to experience it is through experience and doing and not through verbal. Because when you, when you put it into words, it kills it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the very essence of the temple was this experience of life that was a mystery that was, can't be put into words. Because I've heard someone say, if you can explain God, you don't understand God. Because the experience of God cannot be limited by language. You know, even though, and that's when you read the Bible, it is so complex and used poetry and, mm. and metaphor and sort of mysteries. And it's really hard to understand because you can't put it down to functional language. And so... You know, and it gives me, as, a, as an artist, like putting those kind of people in charge of the movement to the space is really important. I think in terms of how we do things and about our values in our life, 
personally, family, church, mm. how do we think about it? In this current world, and this world is looking for more, how do we, what people really want, these are the things that we probably need to think about. Mm. So, what's the opposite? Okay, the opposite is, this is a really bad, it's an idol. Okay, and so this is the this is that narrative that's in the scripture is what does God tell the people not to do is worship idols. Okay, and so interesting in, in terms of idols is there is still a sacrifice that goes on. That sacrifice is transactional. Is that you are giving something to the idol? You're offering them food so that they can live. You're offering them something in transaction because idols are arbitrary. They, they didn't know. They didn't know whether, you, you know, which idol to give a sacrifice to because you didn't know which one was going to curse your life. You know, uh, there's a lot of magic. They've dug up so much magic to do with idols. You know, there's a lot of magic around these things. Uh, it's an illusion. It's transactional. And so there's a, there's a giving of something to the idol that is transactional. But the centre of that it's dead. It's not alive. You know, even the scriptures talk about why are you worshiping these? These things are not alive. They are made of wood. They're dead. But they continue to go through that process of control and thinking that you have control over life by this transactional relationship. So, uh, so this kind of does speak to our culture. Because you think about our culture now, and it's really interesting when I when I work with Aboriginal people down in Marybank, is that a lot of the government officials would come in, a lot of people I dealt with and scientists, they would think that the uh, ideas that Aboriginal people had were um, silly and ignorant, and their ideas of spirituality were mistreated, and now we knew better. Okay, that we got better as time has evolved and now we know better and these are just silly stories um, and so I actually think we're probably very much like this society is very much like the worship of me and Jeanette have been remember going to the um, the temple in in Chennai you know and it's exactly the same thing as you've got this massive building in the center of this really dark room with a bronze statue and people just filing in and out it was dark and they were offering sacrifices to this idol and it's you know it's still going on but we are no better this culture is no better so you think about it what do we sacrifice to we sacrifice something to an idol what's our idol our idol is technological systems you know systems that are remote systems that like in our world all the time we're giving them something and it's interesting as a teacher how much time do I spend on my computer has grown and when it first came in, it was promised that these wouldn't save time. They don't save time. They want more, give, we want more, I have to give it more and more time. I spend less time doing something physical. I'm on my computer all the time. And it is, it's boring, you know, but somehow I'm also attracted to it at the same time. So what, is this, what do these idols want? They want data. They never get satisfied. We're constantly feeding data. I'm feeding data, data all the time. Our phones are constantly taking data from us 
you know, so we feed, that's the transactional nature of technology. These phones, there's a magicness to it. We open them up, they're like magic. And I, there is this idea that technology is magic and we do think they can do magical things. Mm. And they can. We can, like even in Photoshop, you can manipulate an image to do things. And I've just done with kids the new AI, these new AI um, generating images. Oh, we've had, I've got a kid, a kid at the moment who's used one to generate an image. And they're, they're dead. They're terrible. Like, have you seen that mashup between you put two words in and you can put Trump in and Jesus and it'll mash the two things together? It's really weird. And AI is that, that. Have you seen that, Sam? Yeah. It's like, it's so. So. And so, what is what are the fruit? What Sam likes it. What's the fruit of these things? So we can look in our culture. What's the fruit of this? The fruit of this is anxiety. Anxiety is going through the roof. The fruit is anger and rage. The fruit is paranoia, conspiracy, loss of identity, loneliness, uh, mechanical thinking. Oh, these are the fruits that you know. And you have to watch in your own life. These are the things that. You know, I can feel in my own life and I can see it like, how do I deal with this? You know, like Netflix just so good. But, you know, like you spend an awful lot of time on Netflix and it is, you know, and the algorithms will generate kind of likes and dislikes yeah. and just because, oh, maybe I should watch this new thing. It, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it becomes more time I spend on Netflix, the less time I'm engaged in in the, the real life, the presentation of reality. Yeah. And the presentation is not always good. Sometimes the representation is more interesting. It's more brightly. Yeah. It doesn't, you don't have, you don't get offended by it. You like, you know, it makes you feel comfortable and safe. And so the, the, the engagement with life is, like even now, it's, this is not amazing kind of like church with a thing. This is it, you know, but, it, but there's a certain reality to it that, is that is real, okay? And the representation of something that seems to be fantastic often lacks life. Mm -hmm. uh, and so really our search for that. And I don't know how to achieve holiness. I don't know. There's no. I can't verbally explain to you how you, we experience the holy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just, but it's something that we can do together and move towards it. And often it's without, it's going to be without words. Mm. Language is not the way to get to that place. You know, it's, it's not going to do it. So um, I'm nearly finished now. Um, so let's want us to consider that actually these two things are not where Jesus took us. Jesus, what did Jesus do? And so, um, you know, can someone would like to look up Luke 8, uh, 42 to 48? Who's got their Bibles out? Nisha, good on you, Nisha. Would you be happy to read that? Yeah. Um, I'm just finding this. Right? Luke 8, 42, 48. Um, Luke 8, 42 to 48. Yep. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. 
She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and fell and falling down, before, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So you think about that uh, in terms of a Jewish person who came in charge with someone that's discharging blood. He would then have to go through a purification process that would have kept him going out from the temple for a week or so. I don't know how long. But, but, but Jesus brings holiness to death and changes death. Changes it. Removes it. And so it is the movement of Jesus to the outside world. So this becomes, this becomes, you know, not necessarily, this is not the way to do it anymore. Jesus changes the whole game, makes it upside down. Yeah. And what's ironic is that actually, you know, when you think about the church, you think about uh, how the church developed after Jesus um, arose, was that we were, we were operating in, house, in houses, Suddenly, we went back to temples. We went back to the you know, churches became temples. And I, and I found my dad's photographs, and in there is the church I used to go as a child, and it's a temple. You know, we went back to that way of thinking um, very quickly and, you know, built all these beautiful structures, but they were kind of temples again. And that that the rethinking of what Jesus did in terms of bringing holiness to the, to the, the profane. He goes outside to, the, to this area here, the common, the profane, things that is full of death, he goes to that space and brings the holy of holies to that space. So, you know, um, in terms of, let's, I'm going to read to you, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.16 um, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temples, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So, you know, uh, is that we are that temple. And that there is a sacredness and holiness with us gathering together, and that is how do we then take that into the, to the world? That we even ourselves go into a world full of death, how do we then trans, transform that world through who we are? Really is kind of that it. You know, it can be simple, it can be really simple things. Like instead of emailing, you go and talk to somebody. Yeah. You know, instead of texting somebody, like, and you go and you go and have, develop relationships with people, rather than that. You know, and we all have to use email and we all text. It's all fine doing that, but understanding those values and connections that texting and emails is a representation. It's not the real thing. Mm. And so when you go and you talk to somebody and you can physically see them and talk to them, you are doing something that is relationship, that is real, uh, 
it doesn't matter how messy that is, it actually is going to change things. Yeah. Emails cannot do that. In fact, emails can do the opposite. You know, um, you know, a bold word here or there in bold can just change the, the whole thing and you don't understand that. So, you know, I'm sure we can then contemplate this in terms of a much more fundamental and, and dynamic way of thinking of how we can bring holiness into the to a place of death. Mm. You know, the world is crying out. It is dying. It is so much anxiety. There's so much rage. There's so much going on. Yet we, can, just like the early church transformed the world, we can do the same. But it's not going to be done the way we've normally done things. Mm. Can't be done the same way. It's not going to be done, you know, this is central to it. This is what we do here is really central, but it is going to have to be about holiness and ideas of truth, deep mm -hmm. truth, ideas of, of beauty and aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Okay, that will transform um, the way we think and do things. Mm -hmm. You know, and even in our personal lives and our relationships and all those kind of things, what how do we what do we pay attention to? What do we think is important? Mm -hmm. Is something that um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's it. Any, anyone, what thoughts? Anybody? I just had a question about yeah. the um, left and right brain. So obviously we're operating, um, you know, our brain's operating in both of these realms, but some people are more operating in the right brain or, you know, depending on your personality you, or your character. Um, how do you kind of um, strengthen you know, either one side or the other side of the brain. Like, they're obviously not working in equal measure. No, because, because really what, what, what he is saying, this is Ian McGilchrist, is saying that, that to, to, to function in the world, you you automatically both, use both sides. And so there is a taking, you take things apart, you understand things, you have to take it apart and analyse it. And you'll do the same with, you'll listen to me and you'll take it apart mm. and you'll remember certain things, mm. is then how do you then bring it into the whole? How do you then take those parts and bring it back into a whole? You know, and so, for example, is you, you know, when you, you know, the wholeness has come from, when you learn the piano, you're learning parts. But then when you come up and you try and play the whole thing, you you then have to sit there and make the whole. You've got to make the music sound good. So it's it's by doing, by doing how you do things is bringing that thing to the whole again. You know, if you are just if you're just making that whole the parts, it's never going to be alive. You've got to make something alive again. You know, and so. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like we met the other day is that, you know, I had all these thoughts going into my head and then we met and we talked and it's brought into reality and therefore all those things crystallise and it becomes, what becomes really important and all the kind of ideas that I had beforehand, the relationship becomes more important than those ideas and therefore they kind of melt into a whole. It's really hard to explain, but it's what you pay attention to. It's what you pay, what you really want to what you really want uh, as, is what will be, uh, is it going to be the sacrifice of Cain or Abel that are, is the whole. So in some ways, maybe Cain's sacrifice, no, was it Abel who died? Abel died. 
And that's right. Abel's sacrifice had something more of life in it than Cain's. And it was it was disregarded. And so what did Cain do? Cain got angry and killed his brother. So bringing, bringing you know, and there's a mystery in it because they look the same. They don't look very different. But there is one that is has a more whole. And so... Uh, that's not, I'm not making, it's, I'm putting, I'm trying to explain something that doesn't fit into language. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like when you write poem or then when you do art and you kind of, you do something and you love somebody, you give them a hug or you're bringing something into reality that's a, that has wholeness to it, yeah. that, that, that is kind of some of the parts. Mm. But if we just think about the parts, then we're just dealing with small things that don't make much sense and they're dead. They don't, Gotta bring them into life. Yeah. Anyway, some thoughts anyway. Yeah, okay. So I didn't use a microphone. <laughs> Lord, we come to you now and even though we're using language and we're trying to figure things out, Lord, that really uh the experience of you is what's going to change our lives. Mm. That when we're struggling and when we things life doesn't make sense and we're feeling anxious and we're trying to make sense of this world and trying to make sense of where we should go and our faith right now and coming together as a church and coming together as people, we look at things that you are able to bring real purpose, life in a place where there is death. Lord. And that's where we come into your presence, that we are consumed by you, like the sacrifice it consumes all of us, and that, that we understand that an experience of you, Lord, is where life is. Yeah. And so we pray, Lord, for each of us and our families and our yeah. thought life and what we do and we leave here in this week, that, Lord, that we will experience life, yeah. that we will choose life, that we will pay attention to things that are holy things that are truthful, things that are beautiful, we will pay attention, we'll give them a higher priority in our thought life and in the choices we make, that we will choose you, we will choose life with you um, above other things. And so, Father, I pray that this will somehow come into an experience, into a doing, and not just be words that form before and disappear, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Freedom City Podcast. If there is any way that we can help you survive and thrive in your everyday life, we'd love to connect with you. If you'd want to know more about who we are, just head to www.freedomcityfremantle.com. Until next time, take care.